On first down, the handoff to Marlon Mack. Huge hole, 50-yard line. He's at the 40, still going near sideline. He's at the 10. He's at the 5, and he will score. Touchdown, Marlon Mack. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. And again, it's picked off. It's Darius Leonard. Leonard with a second INT, and he's streaking down the near sideline. He's at the 40. He's at the 30. He's at the 20. He's going to go. A pick six for the Maniac. Kenny Moore gets to Deshaun Watson. That's a sack for Kenny Moore. Kenny has a pick and now a sack in the game. Horseshoe is back, baby. The horseshoe is back. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Bring the Juice podcast. I am your host, Cody Felger. Joining me, we have a very special guest today. If you've happened to listen to an Indianapolis Colts game over the past two seasons, you've probably undoubtedly heard his voice on the call. Please welcome Voice of the Colts special guest, Mr. Matt Taylor. Matt, thanks for coming on, man. How are you doing? My pleasure. I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. How are you? Absolutely. I'm doing well, man. And obviously with this virus, a lot of stuff has changed Um, just, you know, from really everywhere has been impacted. And I'm curious, Matt, how has life been for you, you know, both personally and at work with this virus? Well, in the background here, you might hear a toddler and a screaming uh, newborn. So I, I apologize for that, but that's uh, part of the deal with the, with the new normal and the stay at home uh, mandate that we're all under here right now. Uh, but yes, it, it's great because I am at home. I get to see them more often um, but you know, I still got to stay engaged, still got to work, but, um, mm-hmm. life is great. I mean, I, I couldn't, um, I've got no reason to complain because we're still talking football. We're going to have a draft in a couple of days. Um, life as we know it for, uh, from an NFL standpoint really hasn't stopped. It's changed, but it hasn't stopped altogether as far as the off season goes. So, um, there's still plenty to talk about. They're still keeping me busy. Um, but we're just doing it from a different place um, right now. So I'm on the south side of Indianapolis. Got a little, you know, uh, nook here or an office here that I turned into a makeshift studio. And uh, Mm -hmm. we're just making do, but we're still having fun. Awesome. That's so exciting. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, Yeah, Incredibly blessed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Matt, this this offseason, you've obviously, you mentioned things have changed. But you've obviously spoken uh, to several new of the signees that the Colts have brought in. Uh, you've talked with Frank Reich. You've probably talked with Chris Ballard over video chat as well. So I'm curious, despite the limitations that obviously you can't go back into the Colts facility right now, nobody can really go anywhere. But what's been your overall impression of kind of these new guys that have been brought to the Colts organization? Yeah, to me, overall, these signings prove to me that the Colts are in a win-now mode. They're ready to take off, and they just felt like they needed a handful of pieces to get them over the top because the core of their team is young and it's under financial control. So their window of opportunity right now is open. It's wide open. So they felt like they mm-hmm. needed to upgrade at, at quarterback. They certainly did that with Philip Rivers. And then one of their biggest positions of need and growth on their defense, they addressed that as well by bringing in a stud three technique, a great defensive tackle and DeForest Buckner. Now, obviously they had to give up a lot to, to get him in terms of draft equity. They shipped their 13th overall selection to the San Francisco 49ers, but the 49ers had, they had so, so many assets along their defensive line that they couldn't keep everybody 
you know, under the salary cap um, as it as they sit here presently. So they needed to get rid of somebody, and I hate to put it that way, but they were willing to give up DeForest Buckner uh, in exchange for something. And the Colts felt like, hey, DeForest Buckner is is better right now at that key position for us on on defense as we play a four three. He's better now than any prospect we're going to get um, with that 13th pick. So that's why they made the move. Plus, DeForest Buckner is a, a proven commodity, you know, a pro bowler, uh, an all-pro player. Uh, plus, he's still young, and they signed him to an extension. So they're still getting a guy with tremendous upside that can come in right away and help this defense and help that defensive line uh, create a push. Get a push up front. Uh, up front uh, that was a huge problem last year the Colts just did not have enough pressure and enough consistent pressure um, to alter plays and to get in the face of quarterbacks I mean last year the Colts only had three and a half sacks um, from their interior defensive line as a team that's just not going to get it done and so many so many times I just have this mental image in my mind of a quarterback just stepping up sliding into the pocket and completing passes down the field the Colts allowed Again, 70% completion percentage um, to opposing quarterbacks for the second straight year. That's the first time in NFL history that's ever been done. So they needed someone up front in the interior of their defensive line to create a push to where that, that quarterback's got nowhere to go. He can't go outside because you've got Justin Houston there. you got Kamoko Toure there, and you can't go you can't step up into the pocket because you're going to have guys like Danico Autry and DeForest Buckner, hopefully creating problems there as well. So it's going to help everybody. It's going to help obviously the pass rushers. It's going to help the linebackers because theoretically they're going to be scraping free, you know, Darius Leonard's hopefully not going to have to deal with as many, you know, double teams or, or people on his way in order to make plays. And it's certainly going to help the secondary. So those two, you know, moves, the, the biggest one certainly so far this season for the Colts, and I think it's addressed two of their biggest needs or two uh, two of their biggest problem areas from 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Matt, a little bit more about you before we want to make this really a, a draft central type of interview and kind of talk in here conversation. Um, but I'm curious, just a little bit about you. So you've now been in your new role as the voice of the Colts for over a year now. You started in the 2018 season, right before the season started. And then you also, obviously, last year were the voice of the Colts the entire way through. Uh, I'm curious for you, now you have two full seasons under your belt. Um, what's kind of your story? How did you work your way up to where you are now? Kind of curious about that. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you know, long story short, I'll, I'll give you sort of the, the cliff note version of it. I mean, I was that 10-year-old kid that knew exactly what I wanted to do at a very young age. And so my entire you know, um, I would say educational life. And then, you know, uh, after college life, it was all about how do I, how do I best put myself in a, in a situation to do by, play by play, but then do it at a high level for a professional football team. That was always my goal. So I graduated college and I had a, a million part-time jobs. One of them was working at uh, MS communications uh, in Indianapolis and they had the rights to the Colts. They were the flagship station of the Colts. And so working there, um, I immediately started to pick up on how the business side of it worked, kind of how it was structured. And each team does it differently, but how the Colts do it, they, they own their entire broadcast, right? So they own, uh, they hire the talent, they pay the talent, 
Um, they have all the inventory in terms of uh, spots and commercials. Uh, they do all their production work. And so working at Emmis and, and kind of seeing how the Colts operated gave me an understanding of, of how I need to, to best uh, position myself um, from a career standpoint. So worked at Emmis Communications, uh, 1070 The Fan in Indianapolis. Uh, worked there for about four and a half years. Uh, got a chance, got a phone call from uh, from the Colts, and they were um, kind of noticing my work, and, and they gave me a, uh, an opportunity to come over there, gave me a job to essentially run their entire radio network and, and be in charge of all of the radio production, basically do everything except, you know, call the game. Um, so my fingerprints and DNA were kind of over everything. This is in 2012, um, so I, I did that, and, and it really – Starting in 12, every year after that, I started to pick up more and more responsibility within the team. And I was doing sideline reporting a year in uh, on our game day broadcast uh, on top of producing all the shows and coming up with content for the shows. Um, I was uh, doing some TV, uh, you know, like uh, weekly TV uh, hosting, uh, some Colts television program hosting. Uh, then I was doing play-by-play for our uh, preseason TV games. Um, so there was nothing really that I, I, I hadn't done in my uh, media time with the Colts. So I like to think in, in about seven or eight years, I've um, built up a lot of like loyalty and have showed my versatility and have showed my like career flexibility. Um, so when the time came um, in, in 2018, uh, when, when they needed to make a switch at play by play, I like to think because of, you know, the loyalty I showed and my ability and, and again, my versatility that I was uh, top of mind to, to be given a shot, to be given an opportunity. And so, um, you know, I, I did the 2018 season under the interim role uh, and was, was very, very fortunate, was very blessed to uh, have that, you know, uh, tag, if you will, taken off and then given the, the full-time um, position um, starting in the playoffs of 2018. And then last year, I guess you could say 2019 was my first year as the the official voice of the Colts, if you will. But like I said, it is it's an absolute dream job. It's a um, it's a dream come true uh, for me to be able to live 15 minutes away from Lucas Oil Stadium and to do play by play for a professional team in this market, a market in which I grew up, and I don't have to move to do it. I get to keep my family here. I mean, I, that's that's not lost on me. And it's also not lost on me on how big of an opportunity it is and how much of a responsibility it is. So it's, it's something I don't take lightly. And it's the NFL, right? I mean, even, you know, it, go, it, it, it holds true for the players. It's definitely true for the coaches. But I, I think it, it pertains to me as well. I, I got to put my best foot forward because we're all day to day. We're all year to year in this. There's a million people that would love to have my job that would like to take me out of the seat that I'm in. So I've got to bring it every day, if you will, every game and do the best I can. But it is, it is very, very cool um, to be able to narrate and do play by play of these games for hundreds of thousands of people that listen to uh, Colts football, not only in central Indiana, but all over the world. Yeah. I'm curious, Matt. So you mentioned you started at Emmis, started working there. Um, and now you've transitioned into this role. You said fully in 2019. How has your perception kind of changed starting in this new role now? You know, is it harder? Is it more fun? How have you felt about it? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's different. Um, 
like I said, I was I was overseeing and, and doing everything um, except for play by play. And then now I'm doing play by play as well. And so what we've had to do from a from a business structure standpoint, we've hired someone under me, so to speak, to, to take a lot of that load off of me from a production standpoint. Uh, this this person is kind of my right hand man. I'm an extension of him and he's an extension of me. We kind of think the same. Um, his name is Casey Vallier. And uh, he just does a tremendous job and he's an unbelievable asset for us. Um, so without him, I'm not sure where I'd be and, and uh, where we would be from a, you know, a department standpoint, from a radio perspective. But um, he, he definitely helps me get ready for game day um, on top of doing a, a zillion other things. But um, it, it's like I said, it's truly an honor um, and it's kind of like being a player. You know, I played college football, high school football. So I understood like the grind of, of getting ready for games. You know, you, you practice, you watch film, you lift, you do all these things to get ready for game day. My job is kind of the same. I, I'm a, I'm a freak about preparation. I over-prepare. You know, my motto is I use 10% of hundred percent of my prep uh, every game day, but you don't know what that 10% is going to be. The game dictates the information you relayed to the to the listener based on how the game is unfolding um so i just like to be ready to go for anything any you know situation or any uh you know, play that could unfold during a game i like to be able to put that into perspective so i gotta be ready to go so i watch a lot of film and i i'm not gonna bore you with the amount of prep i do but it's a lot and it takes time and so i, I kind of feel like i'm a i'm a player or a coach and that i'm still grinding you know, Monday through Saturday. And then if you're ready to go on Sunday, the game should be easy because of, uh, because of your preparation. So um, it is, it's a lot of work, but listen, it's, it beats, it beats having a real job. As I always say, it's, it's a total blast. And, and Sunday game day is like the reward for all that work that you put in through the, throughout the week. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I'm curious, kind of piggybacking off of that. Take me through kind of your game day prep. No, you know, normally it seems like the last few years the Colts have played a lot of their home games at 1 p.m. Um, so take me through kind of your game game day prep on a typical Sunday 1 p.m. game. And then I'm curious after that, you know, wh- how about like if a game changes times and it gets flexed to a different time or if it's an away game, if it's a Sunday night game, Thursday night game, how does your preparation kind of change within that? Well, the prep – uh, the game time uh, of the game doesn't really matter to me in terms of prep. Um, just to give you a, a basic glimpse of, of how, you know, a normal week works for me during the season, you know, we'll play the game on, on Sunday, right. And once the game is over um, you know, you're kind of tying up all the loose ends from the game and you're getting ready for um, all of our weekly programming that we still have. That That's one thing that I don't think a lot of people understand is we still have, weekly programming, weekly talk shows that we do um, that are that are Colts, Colts shows. We have the inventory for it, like I said. So Monday we do a, a, a Coach Reich, you know, wrap-up show, and then we've got shows Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then we have like a preview show on Friday plus all the podcast stuff uh, that we're doing plus, you know, uh, short little updates that we have on 1070 The Fan and other MS communication stations. So there is tons that, that keep us busy um, during the week. Uh, but from a game day preparation standpoint, you know, I've got offensive statistics, defensive stati- uh, statistics, uh, for the team. I've got individual 
uh, offense and defense numbers that I tabulate and kind of put together and organize in my own way because it's how I prefer it to look. It, it just makes sense to me. You know, doing play-by-play is kind of like, um, you know, it, it's kind of like there, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just it's it's my handwriting, and and sometimes only you can read your own handwriting. That's I kind of equate it to like your game day prep. There's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just whatever works for you or in this case, whatever works for me. Um, so I do that. And then I have like cheat sheets, um, player like cheat sheets that I, I use. They're, they kind of uh, double and triple as like starting lineup sheets, but then also information on players. Um, and they also kind of acts as a spotting chart as well. It's kind of unique to what I do. I, re- I really haven't seen anybody else do it that way. But again, it just whatever works for me. Um, and then from a player standpoint, you know, there's 53 guys on each team going into a game. Now, obviously, you know, you can only dress 46, but you got to be ready to go on game day for uh, 100 and, 106 guys to play. Um, so what I do is anybody that could be in the game, I make like a player profile uh, sheet and I got it on a hmm. Word document. And so uh, anybody that can be in the game has a player profile sheet. And then let's say, you know, T.Y. Hilton has a big game. I can type in T.Y. Hilton on my computer uh, within my profile sheet file. Then I can go and I can talk about all the things that, that are relative to T.Y. Hilton that given day uh, based on the notes and the preparation that I've, I've gathered and organized heading into the game. So like I said, I'm a prep freak. I like to think no one's going to outwork me and out, um, you know, prep me. Uh, because I just like to be able to put things into perspective and give the listener uh, the most insightful knowledge on the situation of the game at that particular time. So I take a lot mm-hmm. of pride in it. And it's uh, something that I probably overwork at it. But, you know, it's just like uh, Vince Lombardi used to say, uh, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. And I think that applies to even broadcasting as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And Matt, you spent a lot of time talking to players, talking to coaches. You've done, you mentioned some preseason announcing and there's a a ton more that we can't get into, but um, I'm curious now over your years with the Colts, whether that be not in this role and also within this role, who's been one of your favorite players or coaches? I know there's probably a lot (laughs) to talk to on or off the field. Who's been one of those guys that just has kind of that polarizing personality? Oh man, there's been so many. I mean, we've been so we've been so fortunate to have, you know, no matter the year, again, I've been there since 2012. We haven't really had, I mean, I can probably count on one hand, the amount of like just bad, bad guys. And I shouldn't say bad guys, but just guys that weren't, you know, willing to talk to you or, or uh, that just got put off by an interview. Like we've had so many good guys that are, are, they understand what we're trying to do and they're um, compliant to it. And they're, you know, kind of genuinely happy to talk to you. Um, but I, I would say like guys that really stand out. I loved Pierre Desir and I know he's no longer on the team, but he was such a good guy in his background where he came from. Um, I just, I always loved talking to him. I love tech. I'm still talking to Jack Doyle. He's still on the team and he's just such a, a good guy. Joe Wrights was always a fantastic interview. Um, gosh, darn, you're putting me on the hot seat here. Let me think about it if you don't mind, because there, there's just been so many good guys that have come through the uh, the locker room that have been good interviews that have given us good insight. 
Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but I'm also curious, Matt, you know, now being the voice of the Colts for, for two years, and you said one year at full time with that position, what has been your favorite game to call so far and why? Wow. My favorite game might've been, it might've been the giants game in 2018. It was at the end of this season. I think it was the home finale for the Colts. And if you remember the Colts were on that string of, you know, they started one and five, but then they won nine of their last 10. And again, late in the season. So playoff implications all over the, all over the place, you know, it was late in the year. So you, you start getting into, well, the Colts got to win and they need help from so-and-so. And I can't remember, you know, the teams and all the scenarios, but it was one of those things where if, if just simply if the Colts took care of business, if the Colts won, um, then they were going to be in a position the week after that heading into week 17 uh, to play in a win in your end game against the uh, Tennessee Titans. So had they lost that game, they would not have made the playoffs and week 17 probably wouldn't have mattered. I know they, mathematically would not have been eliminated but you know how that goes so it's one of those games where it just you know the Giants weren't very good um on paper the Colts were the favorite but it's the NFL so it was one of those games where they just weren't playing well they had a hard time generating momentum that kind of thing but they kind of got their act together in the second half and uh, Eli Manning, the, the Colts scored a late touchdown. Eli Manning goes down the field, and uh, I think the Colts are up by less than a field goal. So if the Giants go down and kick one at the end, obviously the Colts would have lost. But Eli Eli Manning drops back to throw and fires one high, and Malik Hooker picks it off. And I just at that moment, it was it was so exciting because it, it was you know it meant that the Colts were going to win that football game. But like I said, it also meant that the Colts were set up the week after that to play in a, in a, essentially a pseudo playoff game, winning your end and you make the playoffs. So I, I think I realized at that moment, hey, the Colts are essentially going to the playoffs. They're, they're, they're going to have a huge game next week. I understood what that meant. So I was excited for that. Selfishly, I was really pumped to be a part of that from a broadcaster standpoint. Um, so I, I would say that is probably my favorite game because it was dramatic and what it meant for the week after that and then you know to ultimately make the playoffs plus Malik Hooker had that great interception so I thought the call was fun and you know the crowd was behind me the whole time um, on that call and it was just a fun fun game and then of of course the result was awesome and and what it meant for the week after. Mm -hmm. Yeah and looking at that 2018 season it was a roller coaster season I mean the Colts started one and five and then they go all the way to making the playoff and winning a wild card game. I'm curious for you. That's your first year as the guy calling the calling the plays, or not calling the plays, I guess, telling everybody what's happening. And you you have the you know you have a great perspective of being able to see the plays live and telling people about it. I'm curious for you. What was that like there in 2018, seeing that team going from basically the pit all the way to being one of the best teams in the NFL, what's your kind of, what was your kind of perspective, you know, looking back on it now, just seeing the way that the Colts kind of defied the doubters, especially after starting off so poorly as they did in 2018. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, you start one and five, but you had so many close games. I mean, the one that immediately pops into my brain is the season opener against the Cincinnati Bengals. And they, 
you know, Jack Doyle catches the ball, then, you know, has it stripped from him. And then Cincinnati literally snatches uh, victory out of the jaws of defeat with that play right there. So the season kind of starts on a sour note and then, you know, injuries make everything hard. And uh, you had some growing pains with the offense. I think just not everybody fully up to speed on a new system there with Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni, but you saw this, this was a good team. They just needed to put some things together and it wasn't going to be hard for them to take those close losses and, and turn them into to close wins or, 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 you know, double digit wins. Um, so obviously you go one and five, you lose to the Patriots on Thursday night football. I've never seen a team more decimated by injuries uh, than the Colts yeah. on that, that short week in new England. I mean, it was just by the end of the game, I think the number was like 34, 35 healthy players. It was just unreal. And so after that, I mean, let's be honest, the Colts got a little bit healthier and the schedule started to, started to uh, lighten up a little bit. And so they started to take care of business. They, they absolutely killed the uh, Buffalo Bills and then they took care of business. Uh, they got a huge win against the Texans in that stretch. They beat the Titans. Uh, they won a couple of close games. They, they uh, beat the Dolphins on a walk-off field goal, I think. Um, so, you know, the only blemish in that, that, uh, that run to the end of the season was that weird game in Jacksonville. But it was just fun to see, you know, Frank Reich's motto, his mantra of 1-0, just get better today, 1% better. It sounds cliche. It sounds corny. But being on the inside and watching practice, interviewing Frank, like it, they truly believed it. Like, let's not worry about next week because next week doesn't matter if we don't take care of business this week. You know, if we lose this week, then we're mathematically going to give ourselves an, an even, you know, steeper hill to climb here to, to reach the playoffs. So it was really cool to see everybody be singularly focused on, hey, we got a game this week and we're going to take care of business this week. And then next week we'll do the same thing. That one and no approach that they adopted and it became so famous and they still use today. So it was really fun to be a part of that season kind of on the outside looking in, but also on the inside, uh, just being around the guys and talking to the guys on the business trips and, you know, on the plane rides, stuff like that, to, to see how focused and dialed in they were to become the third team ever to start a season one and five and then go on to make the playoffs. Yeah. And Matt, last year, it kind of seemed like it was the opposite way where the Colts started off very hot. They were, I believe they were five and two beat the defending, you know, the Super Bowl champions now Kansas city chiefs. And then for some reason, whether that be injury, other factors, they, they started to slide and they finished with a under 500 record seven and nine. I'm curious from your perspective, what, what, what do you think happened? What, why, why, what happened to cause that backslide um, in the second half of the season for the Colts in 2019? Yeah, I, I think a lot of things. I mean, I think, I mean, this is going to sound like excuses and the Colts certainly don't make any excuses, but it just seemed like after that five and two start and the Colts are heading into Pittsburgh. I mean, if you kind of put, if you go back to that season, Colts are five and two at one point, they're the two seed in the AFC playoffs. And then looking at the schedule ahead, I think you had Pittsburgh, Miami and Denver. And then maybe someone else, I forget at the time, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, uh, another team that was under 500. So you're saying to yourself, saying to yourself, boy, the, the Colts, if they can just take care of business here, you're looking at, you know, eight and two, nine and two. Wow, how, how crazy would that be? But then, of course, 
Jacoby Brissett gets hurt uh, in the second quarter against Pittsburgh, and that game didn't go well. And really, that was kind of like the line of demarcation for the entire rest of the season in terms of Jacoby's numbers. Everybody points to that game and that injury, you know, the the five and two Jacoby, and then, you know, the two and seven Colts the rest of the way. They played a lot of close games. You know, they had 11 games decided by one score. They lost five of those games um, late in the season. Um, they, they couldn't get off the field defensively. You know, the Buccaneers uh, threw for a ton of yards. Same thing for the Titans. Same thing against the Saints. Um, and, I, again, I, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the Forrest Buckter, no push up the middle. That just killed uh, the Colts' secondary. Plus, they had injuries in the secondary. I point to Kenny Moore going down. He, did, he didn't play the last quarter of the season. Um, and I thought that that really hurt the Colts because – they just didn't have anybody they could plug in to match his production and his skill, you know, playing that versatile uh, nickel corner position. Um, so injuries hurt. I mean, I haven't even talked about the wide receivers, you know, T.Y. Hilton misses six games. Devin Funches misses essentially, you know, 15 and a half quarters or 15 and a half games. Uh, Eric Ebron goes on IR. Uh, Chester Rogers goes on IR. So there just, there wasn't a lot of, of bright spots, um, after that, that Pittsburgh game. And that was a game they, they probably still could have won had Brian Hoyer. Um, uh, he came in and, and relief of that game, but I still felt like enough plays could have been made in order to win that game with the backup quarterback. Um, so it was just kind of a, a raw season. And especially the, with the way it ended uh, in week 17 against the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, you got uh, a rookie quarterback that's drafted in the seventh round with a team or on a team that's got nothing to, to play for. And, you know, the Colts were still playing for something. Um, they had an outside shot of making the playoffs that day. Um, or I think I beg your pardon. I think their playoff shot was ended the week before, but nevertheless, they were trying to get to eight and eight and salvage a, a non losing season. So they kind of went out on a sour note in week 17, which made the season even more disappointing because you ended you ended up with a seven and nine season, and uh, a losing a losing season for the second time in three years. Mm-hmm. And in that 2019 draft, the Colts drafted ten guys, ten players. What were some of your What was your take on how some of these guys performed here in year one? Well, I think you, there's a lot to like um, in the secondary. I think Rocky Scene's going to be a good one. He had a roller coaster of a rookie season. You know, there were times where he would play really, really well, but then he would struggle. Um, the game that 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 uh, immediately comes to mind in that regard is the Denver game when I think he was flagged, you know, five or six times. Cortland Sutton got a, got the best of him in that game. Uh, Bobby Okereke is going to be a stud, and they got to find a way to keep him on the field. And you saw that later in the season when they would play a little bit more base defense. Um, and I think it kind of co- coincided with Bobby emerging and also – um, Kenny Moore going out. They, they decided to keep Bobby on the field more at that Sam linebacker position. Um, and I think Kari Willis is going to be a stud too. And, you know, as we sit here and talk right now, Clayton Gathers has not been re-signed in free agency. So it, it makes sense that they're kind of uh, banking on and, and, and projecting Kari to take over that, that strong safety position. And he played well last year. You know, he, he had his ups and downs as well. Um, but uh, for, for a rookie to come in drafted in the fourth round, I thought he acquitted himself very, very nicely. And he and Malik Hooker should make a nice little duo in the back end of that safety position. So those are the guys that immediately stand out to me. Uh, but then 
you look at the sea of the season that uh, Paris Campbell had, I mean, what a raw deal. I mean, you got four injuries, you have to have three surgeries um, and he's just oozing, bursting with potential. So I'm excited to see what he looks like kind of in a redo, if you will, of his uh, rookie season. Um, so I, I thought 2019, I, I think eventually it's going to rival what we saw in 2018 uh, from a draft perspective in terms of impactful talent, obviously 18 yielded uh, uh, Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard. Um, 19 is not going to have like the pro bowlers and the all pros immediately, but I think longevity wise, 19 is going to hold up to be a really, really, really good draft class for the Colts. Mm-hmm. And now moving on, sticking with the draft here, moving on to the 2020 NFL draft. It's coming up very, very soon. Uh, t- it's taking place April 23rd or 25th. I mean, right now as it stands for the Colts, they don't have a first round pick. So really, unless they trade back in 24th and 25th of April, I'm curious for you, what do you as the voice of the Colts do on draft weekend? So on uh, on Thursday night and Friday night of the draft, we actually have a live draft radio show. So we, um, we, we keep busy. Um, we start at seven o'clock on our flagship station, 1070, the fan at Indianapolis. And we have live pick by pick analysis and, Obviously, we're going to sprinkle in some Colts combo on Thursday night because, as you said, they don't have a first-round pick. Uh, but on Friday night, we'll uh, broadcast the entire second round and talk heavy Colts. Right now, the Colts have two picks in the second round. Um, so we'll we'll just talk football, you know, for about, um, I don't know, six hours total on Thursday and Friday uh, of the draft. And it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. And like I said, we um, from a production standpoint – we put a lot of work into it. Uh, we put a lot of emphasis on it, on making it sound good to kind of rival, you know, what you hear from a radio standpoint on ESPN or Sirius XM. So we're pretty proud of it. And um, it's pick by pick analysis and, you know, why it made sense, why it didn't make sense. We'll talk about the next upcoming pick and just kind of roll. Uh, so we'll do that starting Thursday night of the draft from seven o'clock until the end of the round, which is probably going to be around 1130. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk more about the draft. Um, I'm sure you, I don't know if you would do mock drafts or not, but if not, you've been able to see a lot of different mock drafts that people have done. I know one of your guys that works for you, Jake Arthur does a lot of mock drafts and stuff like that. Uh, I'm curious for you looking at, you know, you've watched the Colts from 2019 for you. What are some of your top positions of need for the Colts in this 2020 draft? Wide receiver. (laughs) (laughs) they just start right there i mean uh right now the colts have 10 10 uh, wide receivers on their roster and five of them haven't caught a pass in the nfl um and again you know i know paris campbell's coming back zach pascal's coming back ty hilton's coming back but ty is going to be 30 um which is not to say he's not still productive but he's still he's he's getting up there in age a little bit so you got to start thinking about the long term, um, but this this team just needs big-bodied receivers, and they need playmakers. They just need guys that can go up and make contested catches in in critical situations, like third down, red zone, game on the line, that kind of thing. Um, and the good news is this draft is is full of receivers, uh, impactful guys you can get. I've read all the way up until maybe the fourth or fifth round. So the good news is the Colts aren't going to have to give up a lot of draft equity or move up or anything like that to get guys that can come in right away and and play and and contribute for next season. So, um, you know, last year was just, it it just seems like every year there's one 
position group. There's one area of the team that's hit really hard by injuries. And last year that was wide out. It just seemed like anybody of, of substance uh, was, was nailed with a serious injury last year. So I'm looking forward to the Colts grabbing at least uh, one, maybe two impactful rookie receivers to uh, sprinkle in on this team and get better because iron sharpens iron and the Colts need more depth and, and more uh, of a push um, to, to get more production from their wideout position. I mean, Zach Pascal last year, I think, was the leading receiver for the Colts at like 657 yards. That had to have been the least amount of yards to lead a team in receiving. Um, the Colts yards per attempt last year just wasn't where it needs to be. Uh, if you talk to Frank Reich, uh, the big playability wasn't there. You know, the, the explosive plays, the 20 yard gains, you know, the Colts were 30th in the NFL in that category last year. So, I mean, just think about, think about Cody, how many, how many more games the Colts would have won had they been able to get, you know, two or three more explosive plays to take less stress off of that running game. You know, the Colts last year lost so many games in unique fashion. And what I mean by that is, you know, the Colts would rush for 150, 160 yards and not turn the ball over and win time of possession and still lose. Like that's, that's hard to do. And a big reason why is because they just didn't have many explosive plays on offense. You know, I, I immediately think back to that, that Houston game on the road on Thursday night when the Colts did so many things well to win that game, they just couldn't close it out because uh, I think their longest uh, completion of that game was 14 yards. So I think that's where yeah. Philip Rivers comes in. I think that's where getting more explosiveness at wide receiver comes in uh, to help take some of the stress off of the running game, which is so weird to say being, you know, Colts followers, because for years it was, it was all about the passing game and then trying to get that running game going. Well, 2019 was, bizarro world it was like twilight zone for the Colts where they were so good at rushing the ball and then that the passing game just lacked in so many areas <laughs> last question for you Matt you mentioned Philip Rivers in his quarterback position I'm curious where do you stand right now in the quarterback position obviously you bring in Philip Rivers on a one-year 25 million dollar deal but you know you got to look at it from you mentioned even with the wide receiver position What's going to be the future at your quarterback position? We, we know that Phillip Rivers is probably not going to be your franchise quarterback for the next five years. I'm curious in this draft, would you take a quarterback or, would, you know, and if he would, where would you take him at? Well, one thing that we all know about Chris Ballard is he's not going to reach. He's not going to reach for any player. And he's definitely not going to reach for a quarterback because we've seen that, that blow up. Um, I got a stat for you. I want to read it to you, but I got to find it in terms of, of quarterbacks. I mean, there's just no, there's no guarantee. There's no sure things at quarterback. And I saw this the other day when, uh, when, when talking about quarterbacks, there've been 28 quarterbacks drafted in the top five since 1999. Now, obviously the Colts are not in a position to get a quarterback in the top five, but it is interesting. So, 28 quarterbacks drafted in the top five since 1999. So we're going back 20 years. Half of those picks have a career losing record and only one of them has delivered a Super Bowl, And that's Eli Manning, right? So, I mean, wow. just because you're, you're drafting a guy that high and you think he's going to take over as your franchise quarterback, there's, it's not, it's not a sure thing. In fact, it's, it's far from a sure thing. Um, so getting back to the Colts, you know, I think I think they're doing the best job they can to manage their quarterback situation. 
Um, there's not going to be, I mean, a perfect quarterback scenario does not exist given the, the position they were in when your quarterback, your franchise quarterback decides to retire two weeks before a season. Like they're just trying the best they can. And that's, that's what I mean as far as they're in a win now mode. So let's go get the guy right now that gives us the best chance to win. And that's Phillip Rivers. So I think there's a lot that's going to go into the next 12 months. There's so many variables that are going to dictate what the Colts look like and what they do at quarterback for the long term. I mean, it might be one of those things where, I mean, hopefully Phillip Rivers plays well enough that maybe he can uh, get another contract. Maybe he gets another one-year contract extension at the end of this season. Or it could be Jacoby Brissett, who right now looks like he's going to be the backup for 2020. Maybe they turn the, the reins back over to him in 2021 after growing some more and learning some more. I mean, we talked to Nick Sirianni this offseason about Jacoby. They, they still love him as a quarterback. They, they say he makes all the right reads and makes all the right decisions. They just want him to, to speed that up a little bit. They just want those decisions to be made a little bit quicker, and they obviously want the accuracy to improve as well. So maybe he learns and, and continues to grow a year, learning from one of the best in the game right now in Phillip Rivers. Uh, it could be that they draft a quarterback in this draft. It could be that they draft a quarterback in next year's draft. Um, again, it's just one of those things the Colts, they're not going to back themselves into a corner on, okay, we're going to make a decision and this is what we're going to do no matter what they're they're from a roster mechanic standpoint, they've set themselves up so well outside of quarterback. And again, it's, it's nothing they can handle with, with uh, Andrew Luck deciding to retire two weeks before a season, but they they've put themselves in such a good situation roster construction wise that they're just kind of, for lack of a better term, let the quarterback, situation unfold organically naturally and kind of come to them um but that's not to say they don't love a quarterback in the second round and aren't, aren't going to pick a use a second round pick on that guy so i think this is a really really fascinating draft and i think it's going to be a draft that kind of dictates what the colts look like um for the next four or five years uh it's here's what i know though here's what i think about the quarterback situation i think if the court if the, if the colts decide to use a a draft pick within the first four rounds of this draft that to me, and I don't know if you agree that to me tells me that they think that guy is one day going to take over as the franchise quarterback. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is interesting. And, uh, it, to me. It, it may not, it may, it may not be 2021. It may not even be 2022. You know, it may be mm -hmm. a Patrick Mahomes situation, but just a little bit longer where they groom him and, and they get him up to speed to the point where one day they feel comfortable giving the offense over to that guy to, to be the franchise quarterback. I think, yeah, it's a good I, I situation, Matt. Yeah. I'm I would, sorry. I, I would, no, I wouldn't expect the Colts to, to pick a, a quarterback round four or later, because I just don't think that makes sense. But I'm saying if they pick a quarterback in the first four rounds, then I think they have ideas of that guy taking over as the franchise guy. Sure. Sure. Yeah, and it makes sense to me, Matt, because, you know, you look at the quarterback position, you know, even if you talk about other positions, say, finding your left tackle of the future with Anthony Costanza getting up there in age, you know, the same deal here with the quarterback. The good thing is he's not going to get thrown into the fire right away. He's going to be a guy that's going to get a chance to sit behind Phillip Rivers, maybe even Jacoby Brissett for a year or two. Uh, and I think that's just the perfect situation. You know, if the Colts do want to draft, you know, potentially look at drafting their quarterback of the future, I, I really – 
you know, if they do that, I think, yeah, you know, within the first four rounds, I think, yeah, that's definitely something. Um, but, you know, I'm also interested to see, you know, what if there's a guy like, I know the Colts have been rumored to have been talking with a guy like James Morgan out of FIU. You know, he's yep. a guy that I've done a lot, you know, over the last couple of days, I've really like heard a lot about him. So I did some research, you know, despite all his warts and despite all his flaws, he has a lot of the, the good things that you like, and he's projected to be maybe a fifth, maybe even a sixth round pick. Um, so I think it's just interesting to me to kind of see what, what what do the Colts kind of value here? You know, are they going to bring in a guy, you know, draft maybe a guy in the third, fourth round, or do they think maybe we can get a guy who has those tools that we like, the big arm, the smarts, all that stuff, and try to develop him, you know, the few years, groom him behind Philip Rivers and Jaco- Jacoby Brissett. But I don't know. It's just an interesting conversation to have. And uh, it's cer- certainly good to kind of have your take on it because, you know, you're, you're talking to the coaches, talking to the players, you're, you you kind of have an inside scoop here. And so um, just wanted to, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. that. <laughs> I don't well, know about you, that, you, but yes, you're right. It is. It's really fascinating. And you brought up offensive line and specifically, you know, tackle. I think that's an underrated position of, of need for this team because you factor in, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great that Anthony Costanza is coming back. And I, I thought, I thought that move allowed the Colts some flexibility this offseason in terms of free agency. I don't I don't think the Colts are able to make that DeForest Buckner move if Anthony Costanzo decides to retire. I think they have to hang on at 13 to get, you know, best player available at whatever position, maybe left tackle um, in the first round of the draft. But having him come back for two years really afforded the Colts some movement and to kind of go for it in free agency or at least make a trade with DeForest Buckner. But yes, I mean, Josh Andrews leaves in free agency. Joe Haig leaves in free agency. I know you signed LaRaven Clark, but right now the Colts are really kind of in, in need of some depth up front, um, especially at tackle, because with those two guys leaving, like I said, the Colts don't have a single player on their roster right now that played a snap for them on the offensive line last year outside of the starters. So like none of their depth is coming back. Um, from last year because LaRaven Clark was inactive most of the season, didn't play a single snap last year as a reserve uh, offensive lineman. So that's something that, that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to watch and uh, keep tabs of is, is how much of a need is that for the Colts and where do they prioritize that in this draft? It's great that, you know, the Colts have their offensive line coming back intact for the third straight year, which is unheard of, especially around here, but from a depth standpoint, I mean, odds are, Cody, that you're going to need more of those guys to play next year than you did last year with all those guys, you know, the, the five offensive line starters starting every game and only missing a handful of snaps throughout the course of a season. I mean, that just doesn't happen in the NFL. So the Colts, I mean, odds are the numbers say you're going to need more offensive line help uh, to come in in a pinch and play in 2020 than you did in 2019. Sure. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And Chris Ballard has talked about it. He wants, you know, not just the five starters, but, you know, six, seven, eight offensive line starters, quality guys that can step in and fill in when needed. And so uh, I agree with that a lot. Um, But, yeah, man, I think that about does it, unless you have any other players, going back to the other question, that you thought were were interesting interesting interviews or one of your favorites. So I, I pulled up the I pulled up the roster right now. So I'm just kind of going through the roster right now on guys I love talking to. Uh, Paris Campbell is a really good interview. Anthony Costanzo is a fantastic guy, and I can't believe I, I didn't have him top of mind. Uh, 
Reese Fountain is a fantastic interview as well. Incredibly candid. Uh, talked to him last year right before training camp, and he was very honest with himself on the maturity and kind of the growth he needed from year one to year two. And you saw that last year in, in training camp. And it was just kind of a shame that uh, his season was over pretty much before it got going because I thought he kind of turned the corner from a personality standpoint. Uh, Malik Hooker is really good. Justin Houston's really good. Darius Leonard's phenomenal. Uh, Kenny Moore is a really good interview as well. Quentin Nelson's a man of few words, but, you know, he's uh, he's still a good guy to talk to. He gives you good perspective. Um, Rigo, Rigo Sanchez is a good guy. Uh, Grover Stewart's a funny interview. Anthony Walker, oh, boy. I mean, that he is – if Anthony Walker wasn't playing football, he could probably, you know, run for governor in the state of uh, – Florida or Indiana, because he is eloquent, very intelligent, and just has a really good head on his shoulders. Um, so yeah, those, those are some of my favorite guys right now to talk to. Awesome. Well, thank you, Matt, so much for coming on, man. It's going to be exciting to see how the Colts approach this draft, what they do. And uh, thanks for all the insight, man, on, on the Colts and kind of your perspective coming from the voice of the Colts. You got it. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me and uh, hope to do it again, hope to do it again soon. Yeah, yeah. Stay safe, man. Appreciate you. You got it. Thank you, Cody.